This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Port Coquitlam and online at metromotors.com. Time now for Canucks Army Radio on TSN 1040. Now, here's John Abbott and J.D. Burke. Moving right along on a Vancouver weekend, Canucks Army Radio. It is John Abbott joined by J.D. Burke, and we dive right into all topics. Canucks can't avoid the goaltending these days. Jacob Markstrom. Getting the lion's share of the work early in the season for Travis Green. Anders Nielsen due to make a start somewhere along the line. And whether or not it's sooner rather than later, it's hard to ignore Buffalo on the schedule coming up soon in Buffalo. You think he'd like a crack at his former team to talk more about that. We are very pleased to be joined by Catherine Silverman, contributor to Canucks Army as well in Gold Media. That's the specific goaltending connection and Athletic Chicago as the Athletic continues to consume and uh, just bring joy to the hearts of sports fans right across North America. And we're happy to have Catherine on, uh, who is following the position very closely. Welcome aboard, Catherine. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. And uh, it is a a goaltending, I think every year is going to be a heated topic in Vancouver, whether it's going well, whether there is uh, a veteran and maybe a less groomed player. This time around, the case is really interesting. Jacob Markstrom and Anders Nielsen have very similar numbers career-wise heading into sharing the net in Vancouver. Uh, Markstrom, just a year ago, made 23 starts, played in 26 games, had 10 wins. Anders Nielsen made 23 starts, played in 26 games, had 10 wins. So even in the most recent past, going back to the the body of work from a season ago, it's hard to game plan who would be the starting goaltender. Jacob Markstrom appears to have that opportunity early. Catherine, as we look at the two Canucks goaltenders, is there more of a case for one or the other? Or do you expect this to be a battle? Um, you know, I think it could be a battle. I My guess was that this is Markstrom's net to lose, not necessarily Nielsen's to gain, um, just because they've invested so much in Markstrom at this point. You know, they've they've sent out Eddie Lack. They've uh, they've now more or less not searched for a clear starter replacement now that Ryan Miller's gone. My guess is that at least until Thatcher Demko comes along, there's not really going to be any you have to prove yourself kind of thing. It's going to be a as long as you continue not messing up, this is your net. But I mean. Nilsson did really well in Buffalo last year. I had been not super high on him when he came back to North America with Edmonton. Then he sort of bounced around a little bit. I believe he went to St. Louis. I thought he was more or less finished in North America. He really came back in Buffalo last year. So he he could surprise us. He could end up taking it. Uh, But that was not my impression coming into the season. And and for Canucks fans, they've had a chance to see Jacob Markstrom now. I think he's been in the organization for about three full seasons at least and he's always kind of flirted with being a started goaltender he he kind of came out of the gate he was he was a backup to Ryan Miller but the plan at least the way it was put forward is that Jacob Markstrom is going to play a bit of a 1B workload that was kind of the vibe in the marketplace and and certainly going into last season the expectation was that he was going to get a bigger role and it's never really come together He hasn't been able to wrestle the net away from Ryan Miller, doesn't have that competition this year. But now that he has a clear path 
to be the Canucks starter, do you think he's finally ready to take that job and run with it? What kind of developments have you seen in his game that are going to make him better equipped to run with that job this season? Um, you know, I ideally I would have liked to see him with a Ryan Miller sort of situation for one more year. I, I really wished that Ryan Miller uh, had that extra year on his contract because we knew that he wasn't going to resign somewhere that wasn't going to win him a cup, which is fair. Um, but I, I wanted to see that one B season for Markstrom before I could really say with confidence, yes, I think that he he has that ability to take the starting role just from a longevity standpoint. You know, he hasn't played more than, I believe, 30 games more or less in a season. Um, and the jump from 30 to 60, which is pretty much what a clear starter would get, that's huge in terms of your bounce back, in terms of your agility, in terms of, you know, just being able to hold on to that workload, not getting overtired, not losing focus and concentration. But uh, that being said, I, I believe that the Canucks, up until this year, had the strongest goaltending coaching tandem in the NHL. Uh, everybody loved Roly. I mean, he he's one of the best coaches in the league. I think that he did a lot of really good things for Markstrom when he was here. Um, obviously, he's now with the Devils, but in terms of his depth, in terms of his uh, just sort of calm demeanor when he when it comes to tracking, when it comes to decision making, I think that Markstrom has taken some strides there but I haven't seen his ability to do that in five out of every six games. You know, he hasn't been given that quick turnaround every single game. So I, I, I won't say with confidence. I don't want Canucks fans to yell at me. She said that he'd be great. <laughs> so It's part of the fun of the show. Yeah. <laughs> we are going to get yelled at. Trust me. It's a part of being Canucks Army comment, or Sorry, not commenter. Oh, it's a part of being a writer there. <laughs> Well, I, I think we're we're talking about Jacob Markstrom here and and going back, he used to be considered the greatest goaltending prospect outside of the NHL. And and the book on Jacob Markstrom was that he was he's huge. He's what, six foot six? But six one, six two oh five. Six six two oh five. And he's Nielsen a, is six six two thirty seven. So yeah, they got some that. size in the net. It's a lot of goaltender. Yes, indeed. And and the problem though with, with Jacob Markstrom is when he reaches out, he would create these massive holes. And, and the scouting report on Jacob Markstrom is that he was always going to let pucks go through him. And, and Canucks fans have seen a bit of that in the first three games here. He let in a soft goal against the Edmonton Oilers. He let in a goal against the Ottawa Senators, which, I don't know, maybe we could have stopped that. First shot, Edmonton, first shot, <laughs> Ottawa. Yeah, yeah, and both, both of them, he should have stopped. recovered. He, he did recover. And a, t- a tough shorthanded goal. Yep, yep, that is right. And he, he's held his ground, though. And now the question is, is this going to be a hallmark of his game for the rest of his career? Is he always going to let these, these softies go through? Um, it, it could be. Uh, I, I always hesitate to say, oh, this goaltender is known for letting in softies here and there because every single goaltender lets in softies here or there. We just tend to see the ones that our particular starting goaltender does because it's the guy that we watch most often. I mean, if you go back and look at the last five games for Carey Price, he has – at least five or six quote-unquote soft goals that he's let in. Mike Smith lets them in. Uh, Jonathan Quick lets lots of them in. Um, (laughs) Henrik Lundqvist even lets them in. So, yes, we're going to continue to see those just because every goaltender does it. Um, His tends to come earlier in the game, which is his issue, and I think that that's that's where the real question comes in. Is he going to let in those soft ones? It's going to be, is he going to 
tighten up his focus, his tracking, his positioning during those first five or ten minutes of the game because that's when he's letting in those ones that he really shouldn't, and he tightens up as the game goes along. And that's that's all going to come down to coaching, and it's going to come down to whether or not he can figure out from a mental standpoint because we know he has the physical game to do it. It's going to come down to that mental standpoint of whether or not he can get himself set for that first shot in the game. And I don't know. <laughs> we haven't seen it yet, so to speak. Um, but we, we very easily could in the future because, like I said, he has that foundation. He can do it. It's just a matter of whether he will. Joined by Catherine Silverman, a Canucks Army contributor, both now in uh, print form online and on the radio. So we're enjoying yep. that. In Goal Media, uh, certainly enjoying the articles there. And our friend Kevin Woodley and Athletic Chicago talking Canucks goaltending. As much fun as we have with Markstrom and Nielsen and will continue to have, uh, especially as the season grows on, I think on the back burner is always going to be how soon Thatcher Demko arrives. And I'm interested to get your take, Catherine. Do you subscribe to the more seasoning is better? Uh, around here, it's been the Corey Schneider method. And it just so happens that Demko is also an alumnus of Boston College, so it really works with uh, how they're using him in the American Hockey League. Is this another year where they just continue to let him play pro in the American League? Or do you think there's a chance that you see him up in the NHL? Um, I think that if it depends on who goes down, if, uh, you know, if either Nielsen or Markstrom starts struggling and the other one gets injured, absolutely. I think we see Demko come up, but whether a goaltender needs two years in the AHL, five years in the AHL, one in the ECHL, whatever the case may be, the biggest thing is, uh, is playing time. And so they're not going to bring him up for two, three games that he could be getting in Utica when he'll just be sitting on the bench behind either a red-hot Markstrom who has an injured Andres Nielsen or vice versa. So it'll really come down to that because I don't think the team wants to see him just sitting. Um, But they may bring him up for a game or two, uh, you know, to get that start. Or even if they do bring him up to sit, to watch the guys, you know, to watch that NHL game once or twice throughout the year. Because that's valuable as well, you know, sitting there watching the decision-making from your NHL goaltenders because uh, the variety of shots that are taken, the different plays that are made at the NHL level, the speed isn't too much faster, but the variety of uh, sort of plays that a player can make in the NHL, their arsenal, so to speak, is much broader. So being able to watch those in real time could be valuable. You know, the team may bring him up for a game or two just, so he gets that experience. But uh, I would assume within the next year or two, we'll know if he's ready to take the starting role or at least fight for it. I don't think it'll be too much longer than that. Somebody who's a little bit further down the road in terms of his development than Thatcher Demko would be Michael DiPietro, who the Canucks took in the third round of the last entry draft. He's somebody who's really off to a hot start with the Windsor Spitfires somebody who has a legitimate chance to get the the Canadian net in the World Junior Hockey Championships. What was your take on that pick? Were you a fan of it? And and how do you see his development coming along? How many years out are we from from seeing DiPietro even make an AHL debut? Um, You know, I think that uh, I, I enjoy the pick almost solely because teams need to be making those picks and they need to be making them from different leagues. Like you said, we've seen Corey Schneider and Thatcher Demko come from almost identical situations. They were both NCAA guys. Um, They're both 
coming in with that call with that collegiate hockey experience so they're a little bit older getting some of those ohl guys getting some of the guys from the major juniors even some of the guys from overseas um you get that variety you get the different types of coaching you get the different situations you're going to get a completely different type of game that you're playing in front of in the ohl so you bring that to the ahl um i would assume he'll be in the ahl as soon as he graduates out of major juniors i I don't think that there would be any hesitation to do that um but we also don't know you know they may snag some great goaltending prospect in a trade or they may do something like that so if that happens i could see it maybe being pushed down but i don't think the team's going to try and do anything that would bar either him or demko from moving up within their natural progression through the depth chart so that that would be my best guess but jim benning does surprising things sometimes so i don't know (laughs) That's an honest answer, and we'll have fun, uh, you know, following along the development curve, whether it's uh, a slow one that you can take at 40 or whether it's uh, you're, you're ending up going 70 and going, uh, perhaps some would say, off a cliff. We hope uh, that is not the case. But she is Catherine Silverman. You can find her at InGoal Media or InGoal Magazine, at The Athletic Chicago, and on Twitter at Cat M. Silverman. Catherine, thanks for joining us today to talk some Canucks goaltending on Canucks Army Radio. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, guys. Thanks so much, Catherine. Uh Beautiful. Really appreciate the time. Absolutely. It was fun. How's how's the weather treating you in Arizona? You know, it's actually been pretty nice lately. We're we're starting to get a little bit of a warm front coming through, but uh, it's been nice enough that I can run in the middle of the day instead of dying. So uh, that that should tell you everything. <laughs> yeah, I always uh, I, I'm not making the trips anymore, but was making the trips the last three years, and I I loved going to Glendale. It was fantastic for that. You know, you run run uh, on the trails back behind the hotel, and everything's close and set up around the rink. So I don't know if they'll ever get that new rink, but I always enjoyed going. I secretly hope they don't, uh, <laughs> because I live right there. Oh, okay. Um, well, you know the area. And then, I, yeah. I like the commute, but yeah. uh, if they move to the other side of town, I'd obviously have to move. Uh, I'm not going to drive an hour, but no. I understand that people feel the same in the other direction. Yep. So. <laughs> exactly. Well, we'll probably have you on again and uh, enjoy the seasons of Coyotes and Blackhawks, and we appreciate it. Will do, likewise. Yeah, I love the betting comment at the end there. <laughs> I, I had to. I had to. Couldn't act like it was going to be a normal GM decision. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your time, Catherine. Great, guys. Have a great day. Well, interesting perspectives from Catherine, obviously, as we've already discussed. Whether it's a push and pull between Markstrom and Nielsen remains to be seen. I think the expectation largely from the fan base is that Jacob Markstrom is going to be the guy. And if there's a falter, whether it's right away or there is some rope there, then Nielsen is available to mop up. But I think if you had to throw a poll question out there, it would likely be Markstrom coming back as being considered as the number one. Is there any reason to doubt that? Uh, I, I think my only concern about Jacob Markstrom is, look at how old he is. He's getting up into his late 20s. And I think generally speaking, when you look at goaltenders, if you're a starting goaltender in the NHL, you're usually at that place by about 24. So for me, the concern is if he hasn't been able to snag that job up to this point, what's changed? What's going to help him snag that job now? And and everybody develops on a different curve. I think Shane Malloy made a point to that when we were talking about the Canucks prospects earlier. So what you're hoping for is that Jacob Markstrom is going to be the outlier. 
I think no matter what kind of a starting goaltender he is, we have to keep expectations realistic. I don't think that he's ever going to meet his his draft billing as the best goalie prospect outside of North America. But it does seem feasible at this stage that he can provide the Canucks with league average or just above league average goaltending. And that's a victory for the Canucks, if you ask me. This is so fun because I can't wait to add more to these topics that we brought up on the first show. And it just so happens that we have uh, a number of shows, unless uh, we're canceled for some strange reason. But so far, we haven't had the hook yet. (laughs) Speaking of goaltenders uh, coming from the man upstairs. But we will continue to set up the prospects as we touch briefly on Thatcher Demko in the last segment. We'll run more into how the veterans on the team stack up against some of the younger players how much room is there for some of the american league prospects to make an appearance this season for the vancouver canucks and what kind of chemistry those two worlds will have under the head coach travis green as canucks army radio rolls along debut edition on tsn 1040 you're listening to canucks army radio on tsn 1040 John Abbott at Hockey Avs. J.D. Burke at J. Dylan Burke. We're both part of Canucks Army Radio on the voice of Vancouver Sports TSN 1040. Getting closer to the first full two-hour version of this that you can find on a weekly basis, whether it's on the airwaves, online, or via uh, Twitter. Podcast as well, tsn1040.ca. Look us up, canucksarmy.com. Both of us on social, as we just uh, reiterated and stated our Twitter handles. We've touched on quite a bit already. Jake Vertanen, Brock Pester to kick off the show. Prospects as it relates to Shane Malloy and his opinions. Ole Yelevi making his finished debut for TPS Turku this weekend. A big talking point. Rolled right along to some of the new mantra under Travis Green with some line matching and how Travis sees pairs of players and trios fitting together, perhaps. Touched on the goaltending last segment with Catherine Silverman, Markstrom, Nielsen. Tug of war, I think, will continue for quite a while this season in goal for the Vancouver Canucks. And it brings us to a chance to talk about the veterans versus the young guys or the established versus the prospects, J.D., as we move through our debut segment or debut episode and it is going to be interesting right away in the offseason before some of the signings and trades were completed uh, I believe there was a sense that this team may continue much the way it finished last year with uh, general manager Jim Benning indicating firmly that it was about time to take looks at players whether that was some that were already in the lineup like a Jason Magna like a Michael Chaput whether that was players that were added, like a Nikolai Goldobin, like a Reed Boucher, would there be those types of players continuing onto the roster this time around? Would Jake Vertanen reappear? Obviously, we know now that he has. Would Brock Besser get a real shot? I think we're still figuring that one out, but he's made the opening night roster. So we'll double back then. When Michael Delzato joins the blue line, when Thomas Vanek is added up front, it pushes other players down. I think in the reference to Yulevi, it's fantastic. I am all in in Yulevi playing in Finland. Going to North America and London Knights to mature his game. 
going to Finland to mature as a man. That's how I'm seeing this process for Ulevi, the still, by the way, 19-year-old. Different, perhaps, up front for the Canucks with Thomas Vanek getting some more shifts. Is there enough room for younger, less experienced players to get an opportunity? Do they need to consider that, J.D., or are they doing just fine by adding some of the veteran names? I've kind of been fascinated by the response, particularly to the Thomas Vanek acquisition in the offseason. Some of the biggest complaints about the way the Canucks have handled their rebuild on the fly is that they've never been deadline dealers. I think last season, Jim Benning gets Jonathan Dahlin for for Alex Burrows. He gets Nikolai Goldobin for Yannick Hansen. Those were the first real rebuild-type trades. And, and part of the reason that the Canucks haven't been able to make rebuild-type trades is they haven't had the ammunition. They had Dan Ham used to that one year, and oh, they, they really screwed that one up. But that was their only bullet in the chamber. Who else were they going to trade that season? Redeem Verbata, his value declined from the moment the season started right to the deadline. I heard the best they could have done was to get a fifth rounder. And now, the list wasn't there either. He, the list he had control, there. and the list of teams was a moot point. At yeah, that point. yeah it, was, it was just slightly better than what Ryan Kessler did to the Canucks. What, did he give them five teams? Kessler gave them two. So... When I look at the, the Thomas Vanek move, it's about setting themselves up in a position where at the deadline, they can integrate some of these younger players if they weren't ready at the beginning of the year. So Nikolai Goldobin goes down to Utica. He's only, what, 21 years old, 22? It's not the end of the world. He's going to get some seasoning. He's going to get a chance to play in all situations. He's going to play on the top line, top power play, and he is thriving there. You can get full Utica comments coverage, by the way, on CanucksArmy.com, and and. I don't see the issue because, listen, it's about net value. And if you've got Thomas Vanek in the lineup and you've got him putting up points, being a dominant possession player with the Sedins, you can't tell me that he's not going to recoup a third-round pick much like he did last year for the Florida Panthers. And that, to me, is, should be the ultimate goal here, focusing on players like Goldobin, like Boucher, focusing on developing them. Because it's not about this year. If it was about this year, you might have an argument. You might have an argument that Goldobin can help this team win more than Thomas Vanek. Certainly the upside is there, even if the immediate returns aren't. But aren't the Canucks better suited if we're looking at the team a year from now and they've got a third-round pick to go along with Nikolai Goldobin? That's a very good point, and I believe that a large majority of fans, upon seeing that Vanek became a member of the Canucks on a one-year, $2 million deal, was tied to the fact that he may only be here until the trade deadline. Uh, Others we're thinking that, boy, that would have been the move to make a year before instead of signing Louis Erickson to six over six. So the, there were certainly lots of perspectives and opinions attached to Thomas Vanek, much like other players, but seems to be a beacon for that early in the season as he remains with Henrik and Daniel Sedin on a line and uh, his future with the Canucks remains uncertain, perhaps. Uh, many people, I think, would have been more upset had Vanek made the team in favor of Brock Besser. But they're both here, and so that lessens the blow a little bit. And, boy, I do I do marvel at Brock Besser and how he's fit in with Horvat and Berchi. To be honest, I didn't think that was going to be a spot he would start in. I know that the nine-game experiment went very well at the end of last year. In fact, superseded expectations. Oh, Brock certainly. was brilliant. And what a way to start things off in Minnesota. Has all the feels, as the kids say. <laughs> but coming into this season, I didn't know if he would start there. Multiple factors weighing in on that comment from me. 
I thought Bo Horvat might get the same tough minutes against top lines, and I didn't know how Brock Besser's game would translate there. You know, he's going to have to fight through some things. And so far, it was a third period against the Winnipeg Jets where the Horvat's line was stacked up against Shifley's, and I thought no worse for wear from Brock, but lim- limited situational play there, and so we'll need to see a bit more. But, boy, has he been able to continue to look like he belongs and in that position, that high up in the lineup with two guys that have really worked hard to get there and Barrett and Horvat, and the power play is almost a must. I'm not quite saying it's a must, but it's almost a must for me that he's part of it. it. It actually had puck movement. There's some finish. There's a threat, multiple threats, with Brock Besser being on the unit with Daniel and Henrik in replacing Sam Gagne, at least in the short term, that bumped to unit number two. So... A little bit of offsetting there with Vanek and Besser coexisting. Uh, and I think it can continue that way in the short term. Yeah, and, and I think that's a, a really good point when you go to the Canucks power play. I don't know if there's anything more more immediate or more pressing than to say it's a must. But if there is a word out there that's more appropriate, we have to find it. Because when the alternative to a Brock Besser shot is Sam Gagne on one wing, Henrik Sedin on the other, and Alexander Edler... Who's shooting? Who, who are the defense going to respect in that position? Nobody. And I think that's why the Canucks power play has struggled without Brock Besser, because you look at the way the opposition is playing the Canucks power play. They're stacking up the middle of the ice. They're taking away all the options below the hash marks. And the reason they can get away with that is because Henrik Sedin is not going top shelf. Sam Gagne is not going top shelf. And Alexander Edler, I think the Canucks are happy if he can just get a shot through, much less a threatening shot. You put Brock Besser into that lineup, and it's an entirely new dimension. He can move the puck. He's not the best skater, but he's shifty, and he creates lanes, and he finds shooting lanes. And the Canucks need that if they're going to work a stationary sort of 1-3-1 power play. They need that trigger man. So we've we've sort of grouped Vanek and Besser together as players on opposite ends of the spectrum trying to see where they continue to fit in the lineup. Is it fair then to look at Erickson and Vertanen as perhaps offsetting pieces from time to time. Uh, I know each of them late in the hockey game found themselves watching against the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, I think that's less concerning. And, in, well, I, I let me double back there. It's probably concerning for both of those players. I mean, an investment like Erickson was $6 million, but you can't just look at the dollar signs, in my opinion. And, and so I'm not so uncomfortable with the fact that Erickson wasn't, Going that night in the eyes of Travis Green, well, then guess what? He's not playing when the game matters the most. That needs to change. I think the larger circle would be around Jake Furtanen not getting some opportunity. Where did you come out on that? I, I was just as surprised with, with Vertanen finding himself at the end of the bench, although, I, like we were talking about earlier, there, there are legitimate reasons that he could find himself in that situation. And uh, for Louis Erickson, that one was really interesting to me. I think... We were talking about how Brock Besser is better suited to a stationary, empty net situation. Well, what about Louis Erickson? Where's Louis Erickson going to pick up his goals? He's going to pick them up in the slot. He's, he's the garbage man. And I mean that as a compliment. He's going to pick up those rebounds. He's going to go to the front of the net. And it was really interesting to see that he was a casual team and the Canucks shortened their bench. And, and you talk about Vertanen and Louis Erickson perhaps being partners in the way that we perceive Vanek and Besser as sort of being partners in crime. And I, I, are we going to see Louis Erickson scratch this year? 
because I know we're going to see Jake Vertanen out of the lineup at some point. It's going to happen. He's a young player. Travis Green has been all about the tough love with Jake Vertanen. Are we going to see that with a $6 million player like Louis Erickson? That, not if he me, can avoid it. Not if he can avoid it. But boy, oh boy, does that look bad on uh, the decision makers up top. That's a bad, bad look. We're early this year, so I'm willing to give it. I'm I'm not willing to throw last year away because it happened. And yep. uh, it's a, perhaps a difficult transition. In fact, if you look at it's a strange comparable and it's a stretch in some ways. But if you look at a player the Bruins brought in when Erickson left, David Backus, things yep. didn't exactly go swimmingly in Boston in his first year under that contract uh, for Backus and Instead of playing down the middle, he's been playing on the wing at times before uh, coming down with uh, a grave illness. So it's not just Erickson in Vancouver when it comes to some of those high-priced free agents. I mean, Andrew Ladd in in Long Island, maybe a question mark. Lucic, absolutely more of the wear and tear, but that should be a highly competitive team. And I think you're banking on Lucic making an impact not only through 82 and and uh, maybe sticking up for some of the skilled players or, you know, blanketing them, insulating them a little bit physically, but also appearing when it matters most, and that's in the postseason, right? Yeah. So I, I not as, I'm not willing to go as deep on, on the Lucic one, but I get where you're going with that. But the test for me will be, as much as the question mark is how many goals Erickson can put up this year, how often he's utilized in the top six. Is he more of a bottom six guy? Can he fight through a lesser role, quote-unquote? Can he fight through maybe more managed minutes than in the past? I mean, Willie Desjardins had all the, the trust and faith in the world in Louis Erickson. I don't know if that's going to be the case. He may not be scratched, but he may not be used as much. My, my questions also fall on if he can compete in the Pacific Division. I see a lot of reaching from Louis Erickson. I see a lot of getting to the net, but once engaged at the net, an unwillingness to fight through some of that contact. If indeed he is going to be a net front on the power play, that's one thing because the numbers are in your favor. But if he's going to be a net front five on five, and that's kind of his jam, or they need him if he is indeed more of a matching player, as Travis Green already alluded to in the first week of the season, that he's considered maybe using Erickson to match, then those stick reaches in the corners are not going to cut it. So it's there. there is going to be an evolution of Louis Erickson needed in this division, in my opinion, if he's going to really blossom to what the Canucks are hoping for in an everyday guy that they're paying a lot of money. Well, just to, to push back on that, I think... Louis Erickson falls into there's a certain category of player, and the Canucks have, have perhaps drafted one on defense, Ole Ulevi. Similar kind of mindset here. They're not going to do these, these spectacular plays. They're not going to throw the body. They're not going to engage, but they're always going to be in the right position. And, and when I look at Louis Erickson, that is the player I see. So he's not going to win your battles in front of the net, but he's going to be there, and sometimes he's going to find a way to slither and find a gap that we might not even have seen from the press box. He's going to find a way to get there, though. And when I look at him in transition, he's somebody who always seems to be on the right side of the back check. Even if he's not throwing his guy into the boards, he's getting between his guy and the puck. And to me, that's sort of the value of a player like Louis Erickson is 
is you have to keep in mind what he's been throughout his career. He's never been somebody who's thrown the body. He's never been somebody who's made the big hits. But he's always. I don't need him to make the big hits. I need him just to, need him to battle. I need exact. I need him yeah. to be willing to come out with the puck. Yeah. Or support somebody with the puck. Yeah, that's fair. And not necessarily shy away. Great points by you, and it is. I mean, this. We need more. We need more of a visual on Louis before really determining how far along the road this contract is going. I think. Yeah. But in Boston. I think all your points are valid, but he was in the top six. He was playing with marquee guys. He's playing that, a shutdown role, too. That may not necessarily be the case here, especially even for the people that are suggesting, well, let's go back to seeing him play with the Daniel and Henrik Sedin. Okay, what if this is the last year from the Twins? We're playing the what-if games, and I know that's dangerous, but whether it's this year or next, Louis's contract goes beyond both of those years. You'd think just based on price alone, fair or unfair, that's the guy that you need in the absence of two all-timers to make an impact. And if he's not playing with the Sedins then because they're gone, if he's not playing a top-six role, if he hasn't worked himself into that through seasons like this, it'll be very difficult. So it's dangerous water to to navigate playing the what-if game because there's not a whole lot of point in it. But for me, there's more reasons to, to be focusing on Erickson this season and recognizing he needs to be very successful, get back to the old Louis, if you will, as opposed yep. to having a drop-off repeat season like he did last year because it just changes the landscape for what happens next. And, and what did Travis Green say? He needs Louis Erickson to get back to that 20-goal form. But you know what else... Travis Green said after last, after Thursday's game, he was asked about whether benching Louis Erickson for those final 10 minutes was a message. And he went out of his way to cut that chatter right out. And he goes, no, I like Louis Erickson as a player. This was a consequence of shortening my bench and putting out the three most threatening offensive lines that I can find. So to me, I still think that Travis Green sees him as a defensive ace. And, and perhaps that's going to be the evolution of Louis Erickson. Is he's just going to be an expensive shutdown winger who's going to chip in 15 goals. Can the Canucks live with that? That's a real question. Perfect guy to play what, lines one through four. Louis Erickson? Yet to be determined. Alex Burroughs was the guy. Perfect guy to play lines one through four. And what an emotional night it was on Tuesday as uh, his Ottawa Senators came in to Vancouver and made the return for Alex Burroughs to a franchise that he gave so much to and a community as well, that uh, reciprocated the feelings of love. We'll touch on Burroughs, the Sens, and the rematch coming up on Tuesday with Murray Pam, based out of Ottawa, covering the centers. We come back. Canucks Army Radio on TSN 1040. This is Canucks Army Radio on TSN 1040. Final segment, the finish line for our debut episode is upon us. John Abbott, J.D. Burt, enjoying the ride this week with Canucks Army Radio on TSN 1040. First of many to come, so we hope. And closing it up for us out of the bullpen. We can say that. It's October anyway. Yep. Murray Pam, based out of Ottawa, covering the Sens for Sporting News Canada. And boy, what a return it was for Alex Burroughs this past Tuesday. 
His first appearance in Vancouver wearing a different uniform and uh, things got emotional during the, the, the tribute paid during a TV timeout. Murray, first of all, thanks for being with us today. Oh, you're welcome. Glad to be on. Uh, Burroughs has meant so much to the Canucks organization. That is an understatement. Having the good fortune to get to know him over the last three seasons more intimately as opposed to seeing him play uh, from different markets and realizing what he brings in an agitating uh, you-know-what-to-the-wall type player on a game-by-game basis, I will say it was uh, just that, an absolute pleasure to get to know Alex on and off the ice. Uh, I think it was... My assumption was that everybody was rallying around Alex Burroughs as far as the Senators go, knowing what this moment meant to him. Oh, definitely. I mean, you could see you could see it in the players' faces. Uh, Guy Boucher, everybody, everybody was looking up the screen, and uh, Alex was very emotional about his return, and especially at the end of the game too. That was great how he saluted the fans before skating off the ice, and uh, that was great to see, especially a revered player going back to his hometown. His family's uh, based there, and uh, just the emotion and everything, just the crowd, the feeling, you could, you could, that came across very well on television. He had something of a reputation. I think John kind of danced around it a little bit as, as what? What would we call him, a shift disturber? <laughs> we're allowed to say that, <laughs> right? Yeah, on the F. Yeah, yeah, the F, definitely. <laughs> and we're, we're not blind to, to league perception outside of Vancouver about what type of a player he is, the way he would sometimes cross the line, push the envelope. And, and speaking personally, that was a storyline that I was really eager to follow as he ventured across Canada to a new team, how he was going to be received by a new locker room given his role. And you can't imagine there were a lot of fans of Alex Burroughs across the NHL, certainly on the teams he was playing up against. So what was his reception like from the Senators' room? How did they react to that addition? From the Senators' room, it was great. I don't know if you heard the quote from Pierre Dorian at the trade deadline. He said one player got up and hugged him when he when he was told that Oxborough was coming to Ottawa. But the <laughs> players themselves, they uh, they thought it was they thought he was going to be a great addition. Uh, they obviously knew his uh, reputation on the ice and in the room. Uh, from what I've been told, especially by by uh, Guy Boucher, that that Alex is one of the uh, the finest you know, players off the ice. Usually players of, of uh, Burroughs' ilk on the ice are the nicest guys off the ice. And this appears to be the case with Alex. And I had a, uh, I'll go back, I'll go on a little further, but I had a, a very good conversation with him uh, in training camp and about his coming to Ottawa and what it was like. But the interesting thing about Alex Burroughs, we haven't seen the Alex Burroughs that you've seen in Vancouver. Uh, so far, um, he hasn't dropped the gloves. He hasn't. You haven't seen any antics. He hasn't got in. You know, in goal in a goalie's face. He hasn't. He hasn't really been the agitator uh, that he was in Vancouver. And uh, basically, the feeling from him, he said when he when he came on board, um, the Senators were obviously in a playoff run. There was only like 15, 20 games left in the season, and he didn't want to disrupt what you know didn't disrupt their mojo and he didn't want he when he was very disciplined and he's actually continued that into this season although uh, Guy Boucher said he has free reign obviously to do whatever he has to do at times but obviously we still have not seen that so we're basically seeing Alex Burroughs the third liner uh power play guy stands in front of the net does his you know tries to screen the goalie 
and uh, provides leadership in the room, and that's, that's what we've seen from him. And what Guy Boucher said, he's a very cerebral player, and one day Alex Burroughs will be a coach in the NHL. He's more important to that franchise now, even if he's slowly ramping up to be the Burroughs that Canucks fans and, and we know him to be, even if it's taken a little bit of, of a longer time because of the absence of Chris Neal, because of the absence of Clark MacArthur. Uh, I just feel like with those two now fully removed from uh, that roster, to me, Burroughs' name would, would jump off the page. Yeah, it, it does jump off the page. Uh, and, but again, like I said, we just haven't seen the Alex Burroughs, I think, that, you, that you're that you used to seeing in Vancouver. I'm not sure why. Um, you know, he fills a role. Like I said, he's playing the third line. Power play guy standing in front of the net. But um, I think the most important part is, and Guy Boucher keeps saying it on a daily basis, that he's good for the young guys. He's, he's great for the young players. He mentors the young players. Uh, and I think that's really one of his main roles in Ottawa. Like maybe like we were talking about, he might be an NHL coach one day. And he, he's taken on that role. And Colin White uh, mentioned to me also during training camp that Alex Burroughs, uh, during the playoffs, Colin White obviously um, signed a contract out of um, out of Boston College, and he hung around with the team during the playoffs. He got into a playoff game, and Alex Burroughs took him under his wing. They practiced every day. They stayed on the ice, you know, after practice. Uh, they talked hockey, you know, back at the hotel and also throughout training camp. So he's mentoring, he's taking Colin White obviously under his wing. And I'm sure it sounds like he's doing that with several players and he's providing a leadership role, and, and, and that's great, especially if he's going to be here for two years. And if he's not as effective on the ice, obviously he's going to be 37 years old by the time the contract ends. He still will fill a role mentoring players. And, and getting back to the reaction for the Alexander Burroughs pick, I don't necessarily have the, the greatest understanding of the Ottawa Senators market, but I do have Twitter. And I was able to see the reaction when the Senators acquired Alex Burroughs. Generally, fans weren't so keen of that decision. They were not looking forward to having to part with a, a prime prospect like Jonathan Dolan, who the Canucks are all too happy to have in their stable now. I think the trades work great for everybody involved. I mean, you look at the Ottawa Senators' playoff run, and it's hard to argue. Have Senators fans come around to that acquisition as, as Burroughs has gotten himself more acquainted with the city and their lineup? Well, I tend to believe so. Um, they know, uh, obviously, that Burroughs is going to be that role player and, and a mentor. I haven't seen as much response this season. Obviously, Jonathan was traded. Um, he had a great World Junior Championships. He had five goals in the championships. And I think what happened there was that the Senators had uh, a few prospects at the time So um, prior to this season's draft. So I think what happened was they saw Jonathan Dallin as a forward, maybe a possible scorer coming into the fold, whether it was this year or next year. And I think they were looking more to the future, and yet management was looking for a win-now approach. And to win now, yes, you need a player like Alex Burroughs, and they also brought on Victor Stahlberg. So that was probably the reason why fans got upset, especially on social media. I, I read the same things as you did, J.D. So, I mean... I, I think for the future, I think it's, I think the fan base is, is kind of settled down now, and especially after the playoff run. And the, the start to this season has, you know, hasn't been the greatest, but they do have, um, you know, they have, uh, they've got three consecutive games with points, through all three games going to shoot us, and that's without Eric Carlson. And Eric Carlson should be back hopefully at some point next week. So I think the fan base has actually settled down a bit on that.
Well, just as we get you to settle down, uh, let's throw a fork in that and go to New West native Cal Turris. Uh, lots of fan support in the building for him as well a week ago. Uh, what do you see in terms of his future with the organization in Ottawa? Well, I personally like to see Carl Ferris sign a long-term contract here. I'm sure the fans would like to. I know Kyle Turris would like to. I, we had a chance to speak to him last uh, weekend. He definitely wants to be a, a senator. And uh, basically, I think it all comes down to uh, term right now. Um, basically, appeared Dorian said it's not about the money. I think they've agreed actually on the money. I'm not sure what it is. I'm guessing the upper $5 million range. And uh, the Senators would like him to sign for five years, but he's looking at a seven, eight-year deal, which would take him to the age 35, 36. The Senators would like to keep him until about age 33 at that deal. As you are aware, players obviously with age, you know, tend to fall back a bit. And then they're not entirely sure that Kyle Turris is going to be effective at, you know, 35, 36 years old as he is at, at 33. I don't think they will deal him. I heard there were some rumors out there. Um, but I don't think they'll t- trade him just for the fact that trading him now or a few weeks from now, uh, sorry, as the season goes longer, I can't see them trading him because they have to fill that role. And that's, that's where it's going to be hard to do. You can't fill a Kyle Turris role. He's a 1A, 1B center with Derek Broussard. And you would need an equivalent player coming back to fill that role. So I don't see the point of trading him. If anything, they'll hang on to him and hopefully get a contract uh, hammered out by July 1. They're going to do this. The Canucks and Sens are again in under a week's time, Tuesday the 17th. What are you expecting from the rematch in a game that went all the way to a shootout in Vancouver? Well, I expect probably more of the same, but the Sens are going to be home. You probably there's a good chance you're going to see a different roster from the Senators on Tuesday. Uh, from the the way it looks right now, well, Alex Formanton did not play uh, in Vancouver, but it looks like he may end up going back to junior beginning of the week. Uh, there is a good chance you may see Eric Carlson. So you're going to if Eric Carlson's there. Obviously, you have a different team, you have a different uh, roster setup. You'll probably have the six go back to the six and twelve uh, forwards rather than having the eleven forwards and defensemen. So you're going to see, obviously, a different dynamic when Eric Carlson's in there. You know he's going to play 27 to 30 minutes. There'll be a bit more flow to the game. I don't think the game uh, on Tuesday had tons of flow. It was a good hockey game, but I, I thought there could have been a bit more flow in the game, and I think, obviously, Carlson brings brings that uh, to the game. So I think you're going to see a different Sanders uh, lineup uh, next week. Uh, thanks for your time today, Murray. Oh, thank you very much, John and J.D. Well, that just about does it for the first episode of Canucks Army Radio. Uh, what a blast, and the, the two hours flew by. We'll set you up for our regular listening times in a moment, but lots of places to catch us other than on the radio at TSN 1040. J.D., why don't you run down the Canucks Army side of the ledger? Well, you can find all my work on Canucks Army. Nothing has changed in that regard. CanucksArmy.com or on our Twitter feed at Canucks Army. You can follow me where I'll post all my work, whether it's at Sporting News Canada as a freelance contributor for the Vancouver Canucks, uh, Canucks Army as a contributing writer and managing editor. And just recently, I've joined Vancouver's chapter of The Athletic. So if you're looking to get more great content from The Athletic, be sure to subscribe to The Athletic Vancouver. You can find my work there, and you'll be able to get a hold of that on my Twitter feed as well. John, where can they find your work? At Hockey Abs, A-B-B-S, on uh, social as well. We'll be uh, linking 
this broadcast up that way as well. The podcast section on our Canucks Army show page, that's located at tsn1040.ca. So lots of ways to remain interactive, lots of ways to locate us. And Saturday, the 21st of October, we'll bring it to you live once again from 3 till 5. So one in the books. We thank you very much for being a part of this uh, debut episode. Uh, great time, JD, and now uh, we're rolling, Likewise. buddy. Likewise, and, and you know what? I forgot to include it, but we're going to post an article for each and every one of the Canucks Army podcast episode. So if you couldn't make it for the midnight showing, couldn't make it for the post-game showing, couldn't make it for 3 to 5, whatever, we got you covered. We're going to have a sidebar on the webpage. You're going to be able to download it from CanucksArmy.com. And I know TSN 1040 is going to do their due diligence sharing it as well, so don't worry, we got you covered. There will be plenty to talk about in a week's time, Saturday the 21st, on from 3 till 5 in the afternoon. The Canucks head out east, Ottawa, Boston, Buffalo, Detroit. Some of the topics coming up when we greet you again next. This is the debut episode in the books. A lot of fun already. Thanks for being with us on behalf of J.D. Burke, along with our producer extraordinaire, Jason Croker. It's John Abbott signing off from Canucks Army Radio and your voice for Vancouver Sports, TSN 1040. This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal. In Fort Coquitlam and online at metromotors.com.